hear from Marvin and get that follow-up because that was, it was remarkable. We as one church in three locations raised 13 grand to build that school in Haiti. So I, he already said it, but we appreciate your generosity. And, and two, secondly, he kind of just said it briefly at the end, but be praying for him. Be praying for that group as they go down there to build. Marvin is built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You couldn't tell in that. But so he'll be good. But all the people that are helping him, all the supplies, all the logistics, favor with the authorities, they're everything. Let's just lift them up in prayer as they go to build that school that we've helped fund. But uh, it's a good weekend to be here. Honestly, every weekend is a good weekend to be here. What is it? A uh, couple days out from Valentine's Day. So we don't have anything too crazy going on tonight, but I'm just dropping that for the fellas. Uh, it's, the end is nigh. It's, it's getting close, man. If you haven't got the ball rolling on Valentine's Day, go ahead and do that soon. Uh, secondly on that, though, I, just from the bottom of my heart, we have some amazing uh, married couples here at City Life that honestly inspire Steph and I, um, challenge us, uh, just beautiful pictures of, of love. And just wanted to say, uh, celebrate that freely on Tuesday because we celebrate you guys. I love being the pastor here and doing life with you guys, uh, husbands, wives, everybody. But uh, just appreciate you guys. Wanted to say that from the bottom of my heart. But it's also a, a good weekend to be here because last weekend we started uh, just a little welcome weekend sermon series, a two-week sermon series about who we are as a church, what our vision is, uh, what, what our discipleship model looks like. And you can podcast last week as you can every week at citylifeva.com. Every campus, their podcast is online. And each campus, there's a different sermon. Some people ask that a lot. Do you guys preach the same sermons? Do you uh, have the same sermon series? Sometimes we work from the same series, but every sermon at every campus is unique, and every sermon is online at citylifeva.com, so you could check that out, but if you're a reader, how many of you are readers here tonight? Leaders are readers, y'all. Anyways, this is, if you, if 50 pages, Pastor Fred breaks down just our vision as a church for discipleship, our vision as a church for how we make an impact, our vision as a church for how we follow Christ. It's in this book called Praxis. It says, are you ready for your conversation with God? But if, if you want a simple breakdown of who we are as a church, uh, if you've got questions about uh, what we think about this or believe about that, this answers a lot of those questions. And it's easy to get one. You go to letspraxis.com. Praxis, if you can't see, is P-R-A-X-I-S. But we're not even trying to make money off of it. I believe it's like a dollar for a digital copy, five for a, uh, a book. But if you want more information, grab me. We've got some of these books here, but you can get them online as well. But last week, we looked... And we worked our way through some of the pathways. Now, if you weren't here, pathways are just what we call the spiritual disciplines. Because Christ calls for us to follow him. And as we do that, we walk these pathways. Twelve pathways, twelve spiritual disciplines that we walk through. And we kind of broke them down into three separate groups. And, and I kind of broke it down as three ways that we respond to God's invitation to follow him. Three reasonable responses to say Paul's imitation, to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And we broke it down like this. The, the first reasonable response is that we invite God in. And right, we, we invite God into our hearts, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm not talking about this one-time invitation at an altar because there's a lot of people that would point to a time at an altar, but ever since then, they, they've stopped inviting God. And I'm talking about day in, day out, in every circumstance, inviting God through prayer, through his word, through fasting, and through worship and moments of praise to, hey, invade my life. Because if there's one of the, the, the first things about our busy cultures, it robs us of perspective. 
that there's an eternal reality outside of our own where God's working sovereignly and he's almighty and he loves us. And, and prayer and worship and the word and fasting are ways to invite God in day in and day out into our reality and redefine how we see things and shift our perspective. So that's invite God in. Secondly, we talked about inviting others in. And we actually did talk about inviting others into our heart because Paul, in the passage we read from in Philippians 1.7, he said, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you writing this church, saying, because I have you in my heart. We talked about how our faith should be personal, but it shouldn't be private. How this faith that's personal but not private, it includes things like accountability. It includes things like relationship, like gathering and, and serving but then lastly, last week, we talked about the third response, briefly, but we saved most of it for today. And that's accepting God's invitation to go. And we preached last week from Philippians 1, verses 3 through 8, but I want to actually look at tonight, it's ironically, how, again, how great was worship? Worship was great, and Emily did such a great job leading, and it, it's powerful because she didn't know I'm preaching from Acts 16 tonight, but that's where she went, right? Just awesome to see God's Spirit do that. But I want to read tonight Acts 16 verses 6 through 15. We're going to tie it into Philippians 1, 3 through 8, and we're going to roll through the teaching tonight. But I want to start at Philippians 16, verses 6 through 15. Some people ask me, like, what's your week like? I'm going to tell you 15 minutes of my week this week was just looking up all these uh, geographic locations and how to pronounce them. <laughs> it says, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed through Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for another place, and the next day to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak with the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Theatria, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited them to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And I read all that because last week we read from Philippians 1, we read verses 3 through 8. But I just want to read the beginning of that where he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you. These people we see in Acts 16. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Come on, before I go any further tonight, can I just pray? Lord God, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you that, that we worshiped in song, but now we can worship in your word. God, I know that you want to do a work. You've begun a work, Lord God, in every person here. God, I pray that you would continue to draw us near. God, bring those works into completion, both as individuals and as a church, Lord God. We thank you for the vision you have for City Life, and we thank you for the vision you're going to give each one of us tonight, Lord God, to follow you and glorify you and preach you in spirit and in truth. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, 
Amen, amen. So I want to look at two things from these passages we just read tonight. I want to look at, I want to look at Paul's reaching, and I want to look at Lydia's response. Paul's reaching and Lydia's response. Lydia's response was one that shows generosity. It shows stewardship. But to start with Paul, if, if you read through Acts 16, if you read through the book of Acts, you realize that Paul is probably the greatest model we have in history of somebody who accepted God's invitation to go. His missionary journeys, they give us most of the New Testament from the stories and Acts to the epistles and letters he wrote to those churches he planted in the New Testament. There's a, a great a quote by a guy named Louis Palau. He says, the church is like manure. Pile it together and it stinks up the neighborhood. Spread it out and it enriches the world. And Paul, through his evangelism, his planning of churches, he enriched the world for all time. You know, Acts 16, it happens during his second missionary journey. And so he's in Turkey and he's longing to go to Asia and spread the gospel there and preach Christ there. But it says the Holy Spirit kept him from doing that. And then it says he tries to go into Bithynia, but it says the spirit of Jesus will not allow him to. Now, we don't know what this looked like. I don't know if this was an inkling in his spirit. I don't know if it was a feeling of reservation or if it was a, a man of God who spoke into his life or a believer, a spirit-filled believer that said, hey, God doesn't want you to go there. We don't know what it looks like, but we know that that door was closed. You know, sometimes God shuts doors, and in the moment, it makes zero sense. I mean, think about what standing in Paul's shoes would have felt like and the doubts that would have crept in. Like, is God really behind this? Should I have retired after my first missionary journey? Like, like why are these doors closing if this is God's will? Anybody else ever been there? Why is this door closing if God has called me to this? I know I've been there. And he's, he's, this is the man that said in his letter to the Corinthians, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And he's passing cities and not preaching the gospel to them at the command of God. There's so much room for seeds of confusion. There's so much room for despising that season, for despising the detour that God had them on. But it's like we said months ago in December, don't, don't despise the detour. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about the Israelites coming out of Egypt, that God didn't lead them the direct route to the promised land because it would have led them right through the Philistines. Right? So he led them the long way, it says, out of Egypt. Don't despise the detour. Sometimes in his sovereignty, he's guiding us right where we need to be. We talked months ago, again, in December about Joseph and how he had these dreams that seemed to redirect his life in some of the most uh, unfortunate ways, turned his family into refugees, and yet God was directing, guiding, and even saving their lives. Don't despise the detour. You know, for Paul, how do you respond to this detour? How do you respond to this seeming derailment? And again, sometimes doors get shut in your faith face, and it seems like just all your plans are derailing. But what Paul realized and what we have to realize in those moments is that when plans feel like they're derailing, God is often doing the work of redirecting. It's, it seems so simple when you say it, but when you're in the moment, and your plan just went up in flames. A door just got shut in your face. To have the faith to say, all right, God is just redirecting, it's, it's tough. But again, that's why inviting God into our day-to-day -day is so important and so profound. Because when you do that, you realize that God is all-powerful. He's sovereign. He's loving. He's almighty. And he's working all things for your good. You can say, all right, God, I trust in you because I know you're redirecting. God was hindering Paul from where he wanted to go so that Paul would go where God wanted him to go. If Paul went, if he went east into Asia, who knows if we would have ever made it to Greece and to Rome where he planted these churches. 
It reminds me of Proverbs 16, 9, where it says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. You know, in our times of closing doors and uncertainty, they might last even longer than Paul's. But keep praying, keep pressing, keep seeking that next job interview, that next home listing, whatever you're, you're searching, you're asking God for, whatever you're seeking him for. And just remember that Proverbs 16, 9, it doesn't say that God pulls us off our butt. It says he directs our steps. Paul wasn't one to sit and sulk when the opportunity was shut to him. He kept it moving. If you believe Proverbs 16, 9, you can keep stepping in faith, knowing that God will continue to direct you. You aren't derailed. You're just getting redirected. I didn't land that one job. That one relationship didn't work out. I didn't get the house. I put an offer in, started an adoption process in Ethiopia. That door got shut. We had to switch to India. Whatever it is, when, when you've faithfully done your part and you still need a closed door, know that God closes that door so that he can open another one. Paul kept it confidently moving, trusting that God would to continue, continue to direct his steps to the right door. And it, where God led him to, where he wanted him to be, even though Paul wanted to be east, it was exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond what he could have asked or imagined. We talked about it last week. He ends up in Philippi. He plants this church. His letter to the church in Philippians is the one church we get from Paul where there's no correction. There's no stop doing this, don't do this, start do that. There's so often in his letters behavioral correction, doctrinal correction. But this church in Philippi was a gem. It was one that matured. It was one that grew as, as God wanted it to grow because God's hand was on it. But what if Paul wouldn't have ended up there? How does he end up in Philippi? Ultimately, he was given this dream that we read about of a man who said from that region, come and help us. And it happens within verses in our Bibles, but we don't know how long of a span Paul was waiting. We don't know how long he was asking, seeking, and knocking. But when you're standing in the hallway, how many of you guys, when you're in the hallway, praise the Lord in the hallway? How's that saying go? <laughs> I don't know. But praise him in the hallway. He's good in the in-between. He doesn't change. Our circumstances change. But praise him in between doors. When one's been shut and you're waiting for the next one to open, we simply know that Paul was actively obedient. And he was obedient enough to wait before he went somewhere and preached the gospel. When it came time to move, he was obedient with a quickness. You know, reaching, stepping into moments where we initiate conversations about God, we initiate evangelism or outreach. So often those come to us in seeming interruptions. But a mature faith realizes that these interruptions are opportunities. A mature faith realizes that this might seem like a speed bump to the world, but this is an opportunity for me to preach Christ and show God is good. So he heads west, and he ends up in Philippi, this Roman city that was planted and named after uh, Alexander the Great's father. It was drawn there because there was gold in the mountains north of the city. So this was a booming urban city, but it says they're there for days looking for a synagogue. Now, the quorum for a synagogue, you had to have 10 responsible Jewish men to form a synagogue. So the fact that he couldn't find one there speaks to the fact that there weren't 10 responsible Jews. There might have been irresponsible ones. They're like, no, we don't want to do that. They're not on the plant team. But they couldn't find 10 responsible Christian men to meet the quorum and start a synagogue. So he and his travel companions are there for several days, walking around, looking. Again, you got to put yourself in their shoes. You've been there for several days. This dream told you to go there. Like, man, did the, the spicy food I ate the night before just give me that dream? Did I read you right, God? Did you tell me the, the right thing, or am I just going to bang my head against another closed door? You know, sometimes God closes doors. Sometimes he opens them. 
But sometimes, as Paul says of the open door of effective ministry, he talks about in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, that open door doesn't come without opposition. The door isn't closed. It's wide open. There's just opposition to overcome. There's discomfort that might pull us out of our comfort zone. And it's dangerous because we've told each other in the church so often, that, hey, if it's God's will, you'll, you'll have peace about it. You'll have a perfect peace. <laughs> so often when God calls us to stuff, there's discomfort. When I got ready, I, when I got married, I wasn't 100% ready. I'm like, God, I'm trusting you, right? When we bought a house, I wasn't 100% ready. When we started the adoption process, I wasn't 100% ready. But I, I trusted that, hey, even, you know, we talk about leave me out onto the waters where my trust is without borders, and then he takes you there, and you're like, all right, this might not be comfortable, but I realize God cares more about my contribution than my comfort. And so often when he calls us to something, we might not have perfect peace. We might find it when we get there, but in the moment, you got to face that fear, right? And Paul is there for days before he finally meets Lydia. Just be persistent enough to persevere like Paul. Don't give up so easy because it seems like a door's closed. Maybe it's wide open and there's just opposition for us to press through. But again, he finds Lydia. Lydia is significant. She's the first convert in Europe. She's the first member of the church there. Her home likely houses the first church there, and the gospel gained its Western foothold due to her. So we can thank her. <laughs> we should thank her. And then in Philippians 1, we realize again that, that that's written. As he talks about these people he prays for and he rejoices over, it's written to Lydia and these people we read about in Acts chapter 16. And, and I want to briefly hit, again, we're going to look at Paul's reaching because he reaches three totally different people in three different ways here in Acts 16. We only read about Lydia, but we'll, we'll discuss the others. And it's just this picture of how Paul says, I want to be all things to all people so that he can reach and serve all people. And you look at Lydia, he engages her intellectually, right? Because she was a woman of intellect. She was a seeker. She had read her Bible. And Paul engages her with the truth about Jesus Christ. Then it says in Acts 16, 14, a key verse, one of the most beautiful verses you'll read in the Bible. It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It's an awesome verse. God shows himself to be the X factor. God shows himself to be the ultimate evangelist. Right? You might say, well, I'm not Paul. I don't feel equipped. I don't know the Bible like he knew the Bible. I, I don't feel like I've got the grasp on it. I didn't go to Bible college. It doesn't matter, right? God is the ultimate evangelist, not you. The question is, will we take the initiative if we're faithful and take the initiative, God is forever faithful to quicken the hearts of men. You know, take the initiative, direct a conversation, spark a dialogue, uh, share your testimony. People aren't typically going to walk up to us and say, hey, how do you feel about Jesus, right? That just doesn't happen in the day to day. We need to find moments to take initiative. And, and really something we got to press through as a people is I think sometimes we think if I share the gospel, if I share my testimony, if I share a verse with somebody or I ask to pray for them and they say no or they don't receive it, that somehow I've failed. No, that, that's on them. Look, you can throw the ball right over the plate as slow as possible. If they don't swing the bat, that's not on you. When we fail is when God has prompted us, told us, commanded us, commissioned us to, to share the gospel when we punk out and we say, no, nah, you know what, I, I, I can't or I won't. That's when we fail. But Paul was just faithful to share what he knew about Jesus, and it says that God opened her heart to respond to the message. But then we get to, after that, there is a demon-possessed slave girl, and he engages her spiritually. Because where Lydia was a seeker, 
This girl is a slave. Where Lydia was in control, this girl is demon-possessed. So he doesn't appeal to her intellect. He doesn't say, hey, come out to my life group for crazy people, right? He doesn't say, here's a, here's a, a 12-step program for you. No, he, he speaks to the spirit in her, and God overcame the hold on this girl's life. Now, I don't recommend you walk into the break room on Monday and try to do this to a coworker that's new, and you just you feel like something might be off with him. But I, I would say in our prayers, we need to boldly pray for the spirit of God to overcome spirits, strongholds. We, we, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Come on, we need to boldly pray that the spirit of God will move in people's lives and that he can do again what only he can do. And then lastly, we see this prison guard. And Emily shared from this story briefly, but once this, this girl is healed and the demon leaves her, she loses her ability to, to foretell the future. And, and the people that uh, owned her started losing money. They weren't happy about that. They pointed to Paul and Silas as troublemakers. They end up being beaten and then placed in prison, and they're, they're put in stocks, right? And when I think of this, when I read my Bible, I think of the cute ones in Williamsburg. You know where you stick your head through and your arms through, and you're like, hey, I'm going to go put my head in the stocks. Go take a picture. We'll laugh. Have a good time. No, these are like torturous. Like they, they just separate your limbs in ways that aren't comfortable. These aren't the ones you volunteer for so you can take a picture in. And yet, as Emily shared, middle of the night, they're praising God. They're singing. And at midnight, it says there was an earthquake. The doors were open. The chains were broken. They were free to leave, and yet they stuck around. And we see that this jailer is, is, is there, and he's, committing, he's considering committing suicide. Because if you're a jailer and the people escape, the penalty for that is death. It's not nice. So it's not a leap of faith for him to consider taking his life and avoiding the shame, the disgrace, and the death penalty that will follow the escape. And yet Paul and Silas, again, with every reason to take off running into the night, they stay and they minister to this man. It's powerful to think that they, I would have ran. <laughs> Let's be serious. Maybe God would have stopped me. Maybe he would have shut a door. I don't know. But they stayed to minister to the guard. And you know, I think that probably spoke more to him than anything that came out of their mouth is the fact that they stayed behind to share what they had with him. Come on, they were singing in the prison, and yet they, and then they stayed to speak to him. You know, I think more than our sunny day soliloquies, people are watching us to see what do we do when life gets tough? What do we do when, when there's no reason for hope? Do we give up on hope? Do we take the Facebook to vent, right? Do we have outbursts of frustration and anger? And some of that is natural, but they're looking. Do we have a hope that transcends? Because if we don't, why do they want what we have? Come on, we got to be able to press in those seasons. And like Emily shared so well in worship, praise God. This jailer was, was reached by God because of Paul and Silas's example. Sure, again, they said stuff, but the fact they stuck around, the fact they were singing in prison, no doubt spoke loud volumes to this prison guard. So you got, again, a fashionista, Lydia, who, who does this stuff with clothes, right? You got a slave girl and a prison guard. They're reached by God in three different ways through Paul. And these are the three people that, that couldn't have had more different backgrounds. Superficially, they, they were uh, incompatible, but they were unified amidst their diversity under the blood of Jesus. So maybe you look around tonight and you see people of different backgrounds, see people of different ages, different lifestyles. Christ breaks all barriers and creates a new humanity. They become the core of the church in Philippi, vertically reconciled to God, horizontally reconciled to one another. We don't hear from them by name again, but again, it's powerful because as you continue to read through the New Testament, you get to Philippians. 
We realized that their faith was no flash in the pan. Lydia's response was the Philippians' response, which was one of lasting faith. And again, Philippians is remarkable because it's the one epistle we get where Paul's not correcting, but he's encouraging. He's championing their behavior. Philippians 1.6, we read it again uh, recently. We read it again at the beginning of this sermon. We read it last week. But Philippians 1.6 is where Paul says, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. How many of you have heard that verse before? It's a powerful one. It's on some mugs, T-shirts, that kind of deal. And Paul can make the claim of verse 6 because of the truth of verse 5 where he says your partnership, that you had partnered with him in the gospel from the first day until now. They had partnered with him in spreading the gospel. Their participation and their generosity stood as proof that God was at work in their lives. It was because of that that Paul could say he's doing a good work in you and he's going to carry it to completion. The proof was in the pudding, right? The position, right? We get so consumed with uh, position, and it's a, it's a good thing. We're under the cross. We're under God's grace. We're saved. But spiritual maturity adds participation to our position. We read again Philippians 1.6, and it's often me-centric. God's going to complete the work he's doing in me, or, or we might say it to an individual, encourage somebody. Hey, God's going to complete the work he's doing in you. And I'm not saying that's bad exegesis, and you can encourage people in that way, but the you here in Philippians 1.6 is plural. It's about the people of Philippi. You know, the God... The work that God wants to do in us will achieve full completion when we embrace the family of faith. Not flying solo. God wants us to get rooted. See, God calls us to more than just spiritual belief. He calls us to physically belong. And in belonging, participate in family, the church. You know, there's a word patron. It just means a customer. Not any customer. A regular, frequent customer. Any of you regular, frequent customers anywhere? Let me actually break the ice. How many of you guys are a patron at Target, right? A regular, frequent customer at Target. How many other stores, restaurants do you, are you a regular at? Are you frequent? Chick-fil-A, amen. Aldi, yeah, they sucked us in. They sucked us in. <laughs> at first, we were a little, I don't know. But then, yeah, we love it. Chipotle, yep. It's the straight path to his heart. <laughs> Anybody else? Starbucks. Yep. For better or for worse. Worse on my wallet. But I go to Starbucks a lot, right? The one uh, Chesapeake Square, Wednesdays and Fridays, I'll be in there some hour. You can find me there. Uh, I'm a patron there. It's like cheers. Everybody knows my name. Literally, by the time I get to the register, half the time they've got my drink ready for me with my name on it and they know about my life. I know about their lives. There's Liz, the manager, whose daughter plays basketball in Europe. There's, uh, <laughs> there's Randy, a guy who frequents there that I've talked about here before. He, he actually immigrated from India when he was 28. He's older now. We talk every time we see each other. There's Jeremiah, who's a barista there. He actually, it's crazy, went to India on a missions trip in, like, the neighborhood that Randy grew up in. Small world, right? Cool stuff. Stuff you wouldn't know if you didn't talk to people. I encourage you, right? <laughs> Open up some conversations. But I could keep going. But there's a community there. The patrons that, that, regular, that regularly go there and, and, the, and the people that work there. We talk about life. We encourage each other. But I don't actually contribute to any of the work that goes down behind the counter. You know, Starbucks calls their workers partners. Partners don't just sip the coffee, sit on the, the furniture, and use the Wi-Fi. Patrons like me, who they appreciate and they, and they love, we sit around, sip the coffee, sit on the furniture, and use the Wi-Fi. 
But without the partners, there's no production. There's no coffee to be had. And see, some people, they treat the church like patrons. They sip the coffee, they sit in the furniture, and they use the Wi-Fi. They might not even, they might even know a lot of people's names, and they might even know a lot of people's stories. But they're satisfied with position, and they pass on participation. Man, a life spent just passively observing, especially in the church, it's a wasted life. A life of actively participating in God's plan. His plan for you, his plan for the church. It's why we were put here. It's why you're sitting here breathing oxygen. It's your purpose in life. You have a purpose. You've been saved to serve. You got a taste of God's grace so that you could share it with other people. You were saved for ministry. And some people talk about ministry and they're like, ah, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not called to ministry. And we talk about this call to ministry like it's, it's rare, like it's unusual for believers, but it's universal for believers. Ephesians 4.12 says that my role, that the role of your leaders in the church is for equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You know, in our modern church culture, it's so easily to slip into the perspective that the work of the church is done on the weekends. We, we, we begin to think that reaching people takes place at the church rather than through the church. We focus on rounding people up for invites rather than reaching them where they're at. And inviting people is good. Reaching people where they're at is better. A pastor's role is to turn patrons into partners in ministry, partners in this initiating of evangelism, this initiating of outreach, because the blessing we walk in, not just for us. You know, a passage you've maybe heard me quote in closing on different uh, weekends, is it's in Numbers, it's the Levitical blessing, the priestly blessing. It's in Numbers 6, 24 through 26. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Come on, it's a beautiful passage. But for God's people throughout the Bible and throughout history until now, the temptation is to make it an inclusive blessing. Yeah, God bless us. <laughs> bless your people. Bless me. But as we've said repeatedly since our plant over the last year, when your faith is solely inward focused, it's out of focus. And I love that in Psalm 67, verse 1 through 2, it, it quotes this passage. In Psalm 67, verses 1 through 2, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. God's blessing is bigger than us. God's blessing is missional. When God chooses Abraham back in Genesis, whose, whose many sons, whose offspring will become God's people, will become the Israelites, it says in Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You know, God blessed Abraham so richly that in his life, the nations and kings around him recognized how much he was being blessed, recognized the, his wealth. Come on, that sounds like America. Now, what I'm not saying is that America is God's chosen people. Don't hear me wrong. We're, like every nation, every kingdom will rise, will fall. God lasts forever. His people last forever. But don't miss this either. We're rich, and we're richly blessed. In our American bubble, it's so easy to talk about how this is, we're, we're suffering or the middle class is disappearing. But 88% of Americans rank as high income on the global scale. If you made $1,500 last year, you're in the top 20% of the world. If you made over 50 grand last year, you're in the top 1% of the world's income earners. I saw a guy driving a Telsa the other day down Warwick, and I thought, man, must be nice to be him, right? <laughs> there are people all over the world who look at me driving my 96 Nissan Ultima and think, must be nice to be him. 
the Nissan Altima whose driver's side door wouldn't open for about a week. That was fun. And they'd still be like, man, must be nice to have that ride, even having to crawl through the middle, right? But we are rich and richly blessed. In that way, we're a lot like Lydia. We've got an opportunity to respond like she did with stewardship, to respond like she did with generosity. Again, she was the first convert and first member of the church there, a church that all, in all likelihood started in her home. The gospel gained a foothold and spread westward because of her generosity. And the monetary uh, participation that Paul speaks about in, in Philippians is no doubt she contributed to that. She might have inspired that. You know, our response when God is at work through us should also involve stewardship and generosity. Stewardship and realizing that all we have is God's and we're called to use it as he would. And then generosity, realizing that he gave freely even his own life through Jesus Christ. And how much more freely would he give everything else for us? Christians should be known as some of the most generous and selfless people on the planet. But talk to a waitress or a waiter from Sunday afternoon. It's not our reputation. The paradox, though, is that as we're generous, we grow. We might not grow into a higher tax bracket, but we'll grow into a bigger perspective. We might not grow into a bigger car, but we might grow into a deeper trust for God. We might not grow into a bigger house, but we grow into a bigger faith in a God we can't outgive because God is in his essence generous. But you know, right, we're not just like Lydia in the fact that we're blessed. For some of you, just like Lydia in Philippi, as far as we know for her, this city, it's her final frontier. It's where she spent her life sowing. It's where she spent her life building the church. And as a pastor, I'm mindful, especially a former youth pastor, there's students that will go off to college. There's students that might move somewhere else for a job. And there's military families that might get deployed and, and go somewhere else. But for a lot of us, as an adult speaking to adults, there are a few cases in, in this sanctuary where God will call us to move to faraway lands. Most of us will spend a, a good portion of the rest of our life sowing and investing into God's kingdom here. But it would be a tragic mistake to assume that based on that, that we're not sent. You know, our calling is often closer than we think. We so often want to reach regions that are far geographically, but not the people that are far gone spiritually, that are all around us. Our calling is closer than we think. There may be unique callings over the horizon, but there are universal callings for us right here and right now. Our call as Christians is universal, to proclaim Christ. We, not, we might not preach the gospel like Paul, but we're called to proclaim the gospel. We're not, we might not be called to preach like Paul, but we are called to reach like Paul, to step into moments where we initiate evangelism and outreach and reach people for the gospel. We might not be called to give our lives to traveling the world and going to exotic places to spread the gospel and preach Christ. But we may be called like Lydia to give to those traveling across the globe and spreading the gospel. Come on, may our faith not just be about position, knowing we're in good standing with God. May it also be about participation, running the race he's called us to, both as individuals and as members of, of this church and as members of the capital C church. You know, we're a part of the body here at City Life, and our core, it might be here in the 757, but our reach, our hands and feet, the, the people we, we help support, they're all over the globe. You know, if I could have the, the worship team come up, I just want to hit again. We're working through something this month. Again, as Marvin talked about in that video, he talked about our, our mission's emphasis in February, and we talk about faith promise. 
which is really just this. We as a church, we partner with missionaries all over the world. China, Turkey, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, missionaries all over. And Faith Promise is how we annually raise the funds for the work of missions. Whether it's a missions trip, it's a missions progress, it's a missionary. So whether God is speaking to you about a monthly amount or what we did for years is we would talk about faith promises this. You would ask God, you'd take these cards. If you didn't get one last week, they're on the pews. Take it home. Put it in your Bible. In your times of prayer, just, God, what, what are you asking of me? We call it faith promise because so often, again and again and again, you see God responding to the, the faithful prayers of people and, and bringing money out of the woodwork. Come on, there's a testimony we're going to share next week of, of the way faith promise worked last year for somebody. But really, it's, it's this. How can we give to the work that people are doing all over the world? Come on, we're part of the body. This is an awesome, precious part of the body of Christ. This is an awesome, precious part of city life. But how many of you guys know we got a campus in Newport News? We got a campus in Williamsburg? We got missionaries around the world. And this is our prayer. God, how do you want us to participate? How do you want us to be generous to be good stewards, to partner in the work that's being done all over the world. And again, we aren't asking for you to fill that out, do it now. We're asking you, hey man, take it home. It's our man, woman, lady of God. <laughs> Pray over it. And genuinely ask God, what can I do? It might be pennies. But come on, God sees that. He multiplies. He takes five loaves, two fishes, feeds thousands. So come on, it's not about the number. It's about stirring up faith and asking God, hey, what can I do? Because you know what? I love the passage in Isaiah 6 where he says, here I am, send me. Sounds it's such a cool, glorious passage of Scripture. And there are people that have said, here I am, send me. And in their boldness and in their courage and in their vision, they've gone all over the world. But you know, for, for, <laughs> for Isaiah, where was he sent? He was sent right back where he came to work primarily, if not exclusively, prophesying to Jerusalem, being a faithful witness to the people he had grown up around, being a faithful witness to the people he had worked around. So tonight, come on, let's stand. We're going to go back into worship. We're going to sing, when you walk into the room, God, we don't want you to, to walk through this room without us recognizing you and saying, here I am, <laughs> send me. God, we don't know what that looks like for each person. We might be a Lydia, God, that you've planted here to build your church and maybe fund missionary work elsewhere, Lord God. We might be Paul's, Lord God, who, who go out and, and, and reach nations, reach peoples. I don't know what it looks like for each one of us, but when we say, here I am, send me, there's something powerful that happens. When we submit to your lordship, we submit to your voice and your spirit as it calls us and it prompts us to step into moments where we initiate conversations about you. We initiate sharing the hope we have. Something powerful happens. God, we say tonight, here we are. You know, pre-service prayer was over here and on the side of this table, it says, Jesus said, come. <laughs> God, we hear your invitation tonight. Again and again in the Bible, God says, come. Jesus said, come all you weary and heavy laden in Revelation. It says, hey, come, come. The bride and the spirit say, come. God, we want to be sent out. God, but I pray that tonight we'd also hear your invitation to come. 
God, we don't want to go out and take off So you've done a work in us. God, whatever that work in us is, Lord God, the virtues you want to grow, the pathways you want us to walk in, the prayer life you want to rekindle, the time in your word that you want to spark again, the, the moments of worship in our private time that are going to challenge and call us, the accountability that we've been avoiding, the relationships we've been afraid to step into. Whatever it is, Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. God, and that we would have the boldness to come into your presence where you can do what only you can do. God, you can open our hearts like you did Lydia's in ways that only you can. God, we don't want to step away from that. We want to step into that. God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit's here. has been ministering since the first chord of worship. God, and we say, here we are. God, minister to us so that we can go out and minister to others. Reconcile us to you in new ways so that we can go out and speak about the reconciliation and see horizontal reconciliation that our country, our nation, our world desperately needs, Lord God. But God, we say tonight, here we are. Speak to us, shape us, mold us, and send us, God. Send us back to our workplace. Send us back to our school. Send us back to our neighborhood, our family, Lord God, as, as bold witnesses, God. And God, help it to be our prayer throughout the week. Here I am. How do you want to send me today, Lord God? When we wake up, when we go to work, when we step out our front door, how do you want to send me, Lord God? Give us ears to hear. But God, I pray that you would tune those ears even now as we worship you. God, we praise you tonight.